Welcome to the Nature Fact podcast, where we are talking with our guests about their visions of the new green economy. My name is Tarmo Verki, and in this episode I'm talking with Itamar Weizmann from Tel Aviv. He's the head of climate investments at First Time VC, but also a lecturer and publisher. Hey there, I'm Merit, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Single Earth, and we are building a nature-backed currency to empower you to fight against climate change and biodiversity loss. Sign up at Single Earth and be among the first to switch to a truly sustainable, nature-based economy. And don't forget to join the discussion around climate change and biodiversity loss on our Discord channel. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Nature Back, Itamar. Thank you, it's great to be here. Tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and the background of the investment firm you're working with. Yeah. So first of all, I'm 30 years old and I have climate anxiety. I think like a lot of people in my generation, we see the climate crisis as an era-defining event and also as a paradigm uh, that requires a new thinking about what we should dedicate our lives towards. Um, I started at a very young age to think about sustainable development, sustainable thinking. Um, um, this was, I think when I was 12 years old, I first saw the Al Gore movie at school. It was kind of funny. I was just talking about it with a friend, how how such a small event triggered a lot of things in my uh, future. And when I was 17, I started working um, um, at the parliament in Israel. Um, I worked as an assistant for a parliament member called Nitan Horowitz. He's now the Minister of Health in the, the new center government. And uh, he's from a green left uh, social democratic party called Meretz. And he was the chairman of the environmental lobby in parliament. And I was his aide uh, for a year. After that, I went for two years to work for Greenpeace International, uh, heading, heading campaigns all over the world in Istanbul, in Tel Aviv, in Amsterdam, and um, learned a lot about climate crisis. Back then we called it global warming. <laughs> this was 2010. Um, and, and I saw that how everything is connected how, um, you know, um, the acidification of the ocean is connected to the increase in CO2 in the atmosphere, connected to the biodiversity loss, connected to uh, plastic pollution, connected to um, loss of uh, er arable land. Um, Everything is connected. It's one story. It's uh, we've developed an economy that is working for very a handful of people. And basically, the vast majority of us are not enjoying the benefits of our hard labor and work. And the next generations are going to suffer pretty badly from economic development and past investments. So I decided to dedicate uh, my life to the climate uh, story. Um, I don't really call it crisis because crisis means that it has a beginning and an end and also that you can fix it. You cannot fix the climate crisis. You can weather it, literally, and mend a few of the things that we've done. But we're going to need a lot of... Um, restoration and regeneration, rewilding work to, to make sure that we can uh, go through this and, and, and leave something that we're proud of to next generations. So what I practically do is three things. I uh, invest in climate tech. Um, I fund that I'm a partner and head of climate ad. We raised $100 million to invest in climate. Uh, we already manage $120 million in other funds that are generalist VCs. You know, Israel is a startup nation and um, Israel has over... Uh, 80 different funds. Um, we invest 100 million in climate. Um, we already invested in five different companies and are about to sign two new companies uh, just in the past year. And we're a positive IRR fund, which means that we, during this crisis, the, the, not the climate crisis, but the tech and the crisis and the economical downturn of the bubble, um, we have been able to uh, bring uh, positive returns to our investors. Um, we invest in uh, 
post-seed to Series A stages, companies that are worth 10 to $50 million, checks of two to $8 million. We invest in Israeli companies only. So if you hear me and don't speak Hebrew, then I'm sorry. Um, two to $8 million checks. We've invested in companies like Be Hero, which helps with pollination um, and, 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 and colony collapse disorder. First Airborne, which help optimizes and manages uh, wind turbine management. Lots of other companies. Um, and that's the fund. My other work is uh, I'm a chairman, a volunteer chairman of a nonprofit I started called Radical. We're a climate book publishing house in Hebrew. So we publish great books that are optimistic in their outlook and bring new ideas to Israeli readers on how we can solve the climate crisis. Because I think that we will never invest enough money if we don't understand what is going on. So we have to bring about new knowledge. And we also need to attract new types of people, entrepreneurs and, and young folks to, to dedicate their lives into this crisis so that we can have a, you know, a, a, a real shift um, that we need. Um, and the third thing is I teach. Uh, I teach at the uh, Be'er Sheva, which is uh, one of Israel's largest uh, um, cities. I teach um, BA students, first year BA students. I'm just starting my second year semester in a week from now. Um, it's called Welcome to the Anthropocene. Um, it's like a, a course that teaches uh, the, back, the economical, financial, technological, social background of the climate crisis. Um, and between those things, um, I have uh, self-diagnosed climate anxiety. So that's what I do. Sorry for the long introduction. Um, but I think that kind of brings about uh, a good background to our talk today. Mm. Yeah, I think climate anxiety is probably one of those things uh, many of our visitors on this show have been suffering from. And um, there's no, I mean, we try to be the cure, sharing the information, either they on one country basis or internationally, but information is probably one of the few cures which, you know, I mean, at least could help their patients to, you know, start to work on their, on their recovery, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that um, the best medicine to any anxiety is movement and action, mm. uh, in action and uh, staying still. So um, I think there's a connection between mindfulness and meditation um, that helps to deal with anxiety, general anxiety. Also, it can help with climate anxiety. And I think that um, listening to the stories of other people trying to deal with their own climate anxiety has uh, been really helpful for me. And I can tell you that anytime that uh, I have an event or a speaking engagement or uh, every time I, I achieve something in my long journey uh, at work, um, it really helps out. And I really recommend it. I think that uh, action is the only way forward. Mm. Tell a few words about the investments you guys have made. I mean, you mentioned a few of the company names, but what are they doing? How they are changing the world? Yeah, of course. So, you know, one of the one of the main sources of uh, CO2 emissions is energy, right? Um, it's the largest uh, industry in the world and the largest sector. And right now with the war in Ukraine, everyone's talking about energy. And if we want to scale uh, renewable energy uh, um, that could replace um, fossil energy, uh, uh, sources, uh, we need to make sure that we can actually uh, deliver energy at a scale. And uh, one of the challenges uh, that we see is in the wind turbines. So right now there's about 400,000 wind turbines all over the world. And they're, they're, they're growing uh, dramatically uh, right now in the US because of the new Green New Deal passed by the Senate and uh, President Biden. And that means that we're going to see a lot more wind turbines because of the US investments. Um, especially at the eastern seaboard. They removed a lot of regulation that has uh, blocked development. Um, so one of the challenges we saw is how you manage, optimize, uh, and inspect wind turbines at scale. So um, right now it's done manually. You send teams 
from let's say London to the North Sea in Scotland, and it's very costly and also emits a lot of CO2, um, and it damages the the financial model and the returns of the wind farm. Uh, so a lot of people do it via drone, but you still need to send the person to manage the drone. Um, and you know the blades, if you don't inspect them very often, which you have to do with European regulation, but not everywhere in the world, uh, they lose energy capacity, generate energy generation capacity, so that um, you know they, they they get rough or they're they're not aligned um, or calibrated correctly. So you have to really measure it and understand where the wind's going and what's happening to the blade. So we invested in a company called First Airborne that basically develops a fully autonomous drone with no person managing it. So you put one nest at a wind farm of 60 different turbines and it automatically uh, opt- manages and, and does the blade inspection and helps you make sure that the wind farm that you're building and scaling and managing um, is uh, financially viable, which means that we can actually scale it, right? Because if we don't turn... Um, uh, renewable energy uh, into a cheap or let's say affordable source um, as fossil uh, fuels that we're never going to reach the goals that we need on time. Uh, so that's one thing that we've done. Uh, we've supported the company uh, at their post-seed round. Uh, it was a round of uh, $6 million and change. Um, and the company is really fantastic. The CEO, Boss Pilot, is really great and it's proper hardware. So, you know, a lot of VCs are afraid of hardware. They invest in software uh, because it's more, um, let's say, less frictionless. Um, you don't have to to build something really. Um, but these guys build a huge drone. It takes up the, the size of my room that I'm in right now. Um, another company we've invested in is Be Hero. Um, there's a, a, a something called the colony collapse disorder, which means that the bees are dying all over the world because of the use of pesticides and the change changes in our climate. Without bees, uh, we won't have uh, enough food. Uh, bees uh, are critical for pollination, which is critical for, for, for all the produce that we, we consume. Um, and uh, these guys are, again, Israelis that built phenomenal technology that is scalable. It's a small chip that you put at a hive and basically turns a, a hive into something completely transparent. Right now, we don't know what's going on in the hive. It's a black box. It's a, a mystery. Um, and if you put the, the the chip, it allows you to measure movement and understand what's going on and also to understand perfect timing for pollination. So basically, the end result is double to triple pollination quality for a farmer. Um, there are over $20 million in sales this year. Uh, we've invested, you know, uh, a tenth of that size. And uh, they have some really big news, uh, the, a huge round coming up right now. Um, with uh, strategic investors and uh, they're growing to become the largest pollinator in the US in a year from now. So we're really proud of that investment. Another investment we've done in climate tech that I can share is a company called Growing. You know, there's a need to move more farming indoors because you can control more of the environment of the the, of the, the, the facilities, uh, um, water systems, lights, uh, pest, uh, pesticides, uh, chemicals, um, and also reduce stress on land, which is critical for rehabilitating and uh, rewilding of our of our world. Um, you know, the f- industrial farming has done a lot of damages that we need to to to, to fix and manage. Um, so, with lettuce moving indoors is not that financially stable and relevant, but uh, to move in, uh, indoors uh, more complex uh, produces like uh, cannabis or uh, food supplements or Anything for the for the pharmaceutical industry is really critical. So um, we've invested in Growin that helps uh, those customers basically uh, provide a grow as a service sort of uh, service, um, basically uh, moving everything indoor 
and growing on an aeroponic, uh, in an aeroponic way, which means no land is used, no soil is used. And it's uh, over a sponge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's over a sponge and uh, saves about 90% of the pesticides and a lot of the water that is used. And it's much more energy efficient um, in terms of the resources that it uses. Um, so this is another company. We're now uh, looking into a circular economy company, um, turning waste uh, into materials um, and uh, another company in, com- in carbon capture and removal. So we're doing uh, great stuff. Mm. And Israel is poised to become a real uh, climate tech nation. Uh, so mm. I'm really hopeful about what we're building here. Mm. Definitely a tech nation and startup nation, but also the climate tech nation. That's cool to hear. Uh, how much How much there is kind of the, I don't know, variety of the local climate tech startups uh, popping up? You know, hearing your stories of the investments, they seem to be, you know, with quite wide variety already. Um. What do you mean by wide variety? Like wide different, uh, different uh, parts of the climate tech scene, uh, you know, sector, and also the sector compared to maybe other sectors. I mean, uh, compared to I, I don't know the typical startups building B two B SaaS models for the optimization of their sales software or something, uh, you know, pointless. Yeah. So I think climate tech. You shouldn't really look at it as a sector. It's more of a paradigm. Because it includes a lot of other sectors like energy and agriculture and materials and construction and urbanism and mobility. So you have a lot of different things. I think what combines them is the paradigm that says, okay, we have a very, very crazy timetable at achieving net zero by 2050, which means that we need to have emission 50% reduction in less than eight years. We have seven years and two months, even less. Um, that means that we need to work very, very hard. And we need to divest a lot from fossil fuels and reinvest it into sustainable tech. So climate tech isn't really a sector. It's more of a way of thinking um, it, because it has, it's like a, it's a bas- it's a wide definition for a lot of things that not necessarily have anything together to do together. Um, ESG and carbon transparency. What does it have to do really with construction tech about a person who um, is trying to build sustainable concrete. Um, what they have is a shared story, a common goal and value. Um, that's what they have. But the invest and the investor as well, not just the entrepreneur. Um, but, you know, it's different business models. It's different markets. It's different uh, needs. It's different teams, different timescales. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge, right? It's a challenge. It's a challenge, and I think this this seven years and uh, two months uh, kind of timeline to halve emissions is. I mean, there might be some people who still think it's a reasonable target or reachable or anything like this, but I've spent more than twenty years in journalism, and uh, I'm definitely yeah. cynical uh, in believing yeah, I know. that. I understand you with, uh, you know, we're, we have an upcoming COP, which is the conference of parties of the, uh, uh, UNFCC, the, um, the yearly the, climate conference of all the, all the, the, the leaders the of the world. Yeah, yeah. And it's happening in Sharm el-Sheikh, which is a neighboring country of ours in Egypt. So I'm taking the bus there. That's nice. I don't have to fly to my next COP. Last time I had to fly to Glasgow, which was kind of ridiculous, but, uh, yeah, I understand the cynicism. Um, I understand the cynicism. I think that um, it's not really helpful, the cynicism. Um, 
Um, it, it depends. Sometimes I wake up with it and try to shake it off. Sometimes I go to bed with it and try to shake it off. But it's not really helpful. It's not going to lead us anywhere. So I think we need to aim for the for the goal, even if we think it's unrealistic. Because if we don't aim there, we're definitely not going to get there. It's not going to happen by mistake. <laughs> it's not going to happen if we intend it to happen. So even if we reach part of it, you know, I, I was I just visited uh, Sweden uh, for a learning uh, delegation to learn about the amazing things that uh, Sweden, one of your kind of neighboring countries, is working on. And uh, Sweden has put a one hundred percent zero carbon emissions um, by twenty forty five, which is much more than we need in order to prevent the supposable horrible two degree scenario. Um, so I met a lot of government officials and tech industry and investment bankers and a lot of different people from the industry really highest up. The, the top of the top of the Swedish economy and, and political uh, elites, it was right before the election there. So I don't know if the new prime minister who was just sworn in will, will follow up on that. But the 2045 goals were really impressive. And I can tell you that I saw that they all had the share, shared story and shared value and shared goals. So I think that we need to make sure that not only politicians and bankers have these uh, shared stories and goals and vision and, 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 and values in Sweden, but everywhere in the world. Because obviously we know that Sweden is a global leader in sustainability and also your country, right? Um, you're one of the leading countries in Europe and in the world um, uh, in sustainable thinking and design. And I think mm. we need to make sure that everyone goes there. Mm. Uh, How could we... I mean, how could we get that positive attitude you seem to be born with uh, across the across the listeners? Yeah, it's a so. Uh, first of all, uh, I think that um, collective healing requires personal healing. Mm. It sounds like a cliche. It sounds like um, uh, I don't know, like um, reading off a Buddhist book. But I really believe that um, if we take care of ourselves, then we can be able to take care of others. And I think that you know the climate crisis is. Uh, Is obviously, you know, 70% of emissions is from 100 companies. So it's not like my flight is going to change the world. But it is important to stop doing a lot of the harmful things that we're doing. Because, you know, I stopped smoking. Um, I understood that tobacco is really horrible for the environment, not just for me. And there is some somehow there is this unbelievable connection between harmful things to us and harmful things to our planet. Um, so I, I reduced dramatically any meat consumption and any and I don't and any dairy and anything that is from uh, uh, that is you know um, not um, uh, vegan based. Uh, I, I, I have, I'm, I'm, I'm what we call a flexitarian. So uh, sometimes uh, rarely I, I do consume it. Um, I also uh, don't own a car. Um, when I fly, I fly for multiple day for for long periods of time and then take trains between places. Um, so I try to avoid these short haul flights for three days just for like a meeting or whatever. And we have this zoom right now, um, instead of, uh, traveling to see you and, and getting this interview done, which is something that people would have done uh, years ago. Um, so I think that there is a connection between what you do personally. I also talk about the climate crisis at dinner with my friends or with my family. And this is something I, we bring up not as a depressing issue, but some, but as a challenge that we take upon ourselves mm-hmm. and as a role and responsibility that we have. So I think that, you know, you talked, you asked, how do you stay positive and how do you bring this good energy? You first have to see that you have your own mission, your own role, and that that has a lot of power to it. And from that, it's easier to talk to others about their role and uh, understand what we can do together. But I think we're living in a really interesting time. We're the first species 
I think in in the universe, not in the universe, but in this world that has changed really everything about this planet. We've changed the atmosphere. We've changed the biosphere. We're changing everything. Um, and that means that we're living in a unique point of time. Um, and, um, and that's just interesting, right? Regardless of the outcome, the climate crisis is just an interesting topic to talk about. And that, in, in, you know, um, I used to talk about totally other things um, a few years ago. And now I get to talk about really everything because it's a, it's a paradigm of energy, of food, of uh, education, of transport, of politics, local politics, global politics, national politics. Mm -hmm. So the climate paradigm um, could be everything and anyone can find their own story. Um, and I think a lot of people are now trying to, there's something called the, the, the big quit or the great resignation. People, young people are quitting their jobs all over the world. It happened since the COVID uh, hit in uh, March 2020. Um, and I think that there is a connection between that and the climate crisis. People understand that life is short and that people shouldn't work as slaves for other people and that we want to find meaning in our work and that we want to be part of something good. And I think the climate crisis is the answer to all of those people who are looking to do something good with their time and not just open another e-commerce business and sell bullshit that no one needs. Exactly. Um, so I think that um, we need to think about that. And mm -hmm. it's not a change that happens overnight. Um, it takes time to evaluate yourself and others and to work on it. It does. The, uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, you teach uh, a course for the students, which seems to be combining a lot of those <laughs> thoughts. How, how, how do the students take it? I mean, how are the youngsters at the school? What are their reactions? Are they like passionate to change the world and never go to their corporate jobs? Or how do, how do they take your course? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Um, you know, so I'm not sure how exactly um, um, it impacts them. Some, feel, some are filled with anxiety because it's the first time they really get exposed to the in-depth version of what is the climate crisis and what to do about it. So um, sometimes there's like a shock effect of, wow, what the hell is going on here? And then over time, I try to build it in a way that it's a yearly course. So I have like 20 something um, um, sessions. Um, I build it in a way that um, at the end, they feel much more optimistic than, than after the first few sessions. Um, but um, I, I think it really depends on the student because um, a lot of people take it on a personal level and some people... You know, there's the, the whole um, stages of grief, you know, the stages of grief. Um, uh, like the whole stages of grief, we have the, I think it's five stages. Um, and the different stages of, you know, you start with denial, you move to anger, then there's bargaining, depression and acceptance. So I think that there is also the climate, uh, like the five stages of climate anxiety or climate grief. And a lot of people are stuck in denial, especially in America, right? People are just, I don't want to hear about it. I, there is nothing going on. I can continue business as usual. Everything is fine. The world isn't burning. The world isn't dying. The world isn't crashing. And I think there's anger, right? We saw the two young activists throwing tomato at the, 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 the Van Gogh uh, painting. And I think it was a really marvelous act, really interesting because it drew a lot of attention. And there's people who are bargaining, a lot of the climate investors. We say, oh, we can stop some of this and, and maybe we can do net zero. And, you know, and then there's depression and then there's acceptance. And I think my goal in my life is to bring as many people as I can through that stages to acceptance so they can start with restart with action. 
I think if we don't go through all of these stages from denial to anger to bargaining, depression and acceptance, we don't go to action. Mm. Uh, I went through these uh, stages. Um, and it's, it, 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 you know, it, this is not a typical conversation with a VC, right? The VC wouldn't talk to you about uh, depression or, or anger. <laughs> but uh, I think that there is a connection here. Uh, there is a connection, definitely. Yeah. The, uh, I wanted to ask you about the, your own Al Gore movie moment. Do you, yeah. see, do you see similar moments in the students? Yeah. I showed them the David Attenborough, A Life on Our Planet. And um, it was really fantastic. Like they were melting in their chairs. Um, you know, just the sound of that British accent with uh, the beauty shots of all the amazing diversity we have on this planet together with the really heartfelt emotional story of how we have changed our planet and what we can do about it. Uh, I saw that. Um, that's why I, I'm, 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 I've showed a bunch of films to my students. I've also also showed, uh, this is a really great recommendation, um, uh, Biggest Little Farm. It's a great documentary about a couple in California that decided to open, to move from the city in, in, and get a farm and buy a farm that uh, basically restores and rewilds everything uh, and, and bring back nature and uh, try to develop a sustainable way of living. And it's just a really fantastic way of learning about compost or about regeneration or about the how we can restore everything that we've damaged. Um, so I love showing documentaries and I'm a big documentary fan. Um, and I think that's one of the ways to help people create their own aha moment mm. uh, that you talked about. Mm. We will definitely add the kind of links to those to the show notes of the podcast so people can go and go and find, uh, search, search for them on the internet. Yeah. The, um, looking forward, now the school year is starting. What's your next challenges? What, what are you looking forward to in, the, in this winter? Yeah, um, it's a good question. Wow, I haven't asked myself that. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm here on a limp trying to answer. Um, I think that um, I've now understood kind of like what, um, what I should focus on. And um, and now I need to make sure that uh, that I keep my focus. Um, I think it took me a lot of a lot of time to understand what is climate investments um, and what we're looking for in entrepreneurs and what does Israel have to offer to the world. And also, I think that with the new turbulence in the global economy, we need to understand. You know, uh, investing when when everything is up is probably easier than investing when everything is going down. So I think that's a huge challenge for us and for every investor out there to understand how the new interest rate are going to impact our, our cash flow and uh, how, um, how employees are going to be um, kept uh, whilst we can't increase uh, wages um, that has been growing steadily in the tech market forever. Um, there are a lot of challenges, uh, not just financial ones, um, I think that uh, every economical crash um, leads to a fundamental shift in the way society uh, manages its workforce. Um, you know, in 2008, right after the economical uh, downturn, um, a lot of great tech companies that we know were founded, companies like Airbnb, that were uh, a solution for extra income, or WeWork. Um, so we're going to see a lot of great companies and a lot of large companies being built out of this crisis. And I really hope that we'll see a lot of climate tech companies being built because that's really what we need. We don't need another uh, 
non-climate company, right? We don't need another gaming or cyber or whatever company. Uh, we need someone to help fix real problems. And that's the purpose of technology. It's to equip mankind or people with technology that could improve their lives. And that's the essence of climate tech, technologies that could improve our lives. And I think the coming winter and year is really interesting to see how we can do that while also going through the different crises of energy in, in, in Europe and Russia and Ukraine and everything that's going on there. And also together with uh, changes in the fundamental of economy all over the world. Um, so that's really interesting. I'm, I'm always trying to learn in my job. I think one of the finest things about being a uh, investor is that you always have to learn. Uh, l- a large portion of your time is dedicated to reading and learning and listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very humbling. And, and yeah, you know, one of the benefits is uh, ability to meet a lot of uh, really smart people who are working on the solutions to, to this um, our anxiety. Yeah, exactly. Uh, meeting the actual people who do the actual work themselves. And also to meet people like you. Um, you know, I get to meet people from all over the world, uh, which is very mm-hmm. exciting. Always uh, interesting to hear other perspectives and also seeing what happens in other sides uh, of the globe. Um, I'm, sometimes I'm very much focused on what's going on here in my city, in my country. And I think the, 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 the fact that the climate crisis is an inherently a global one um, is really um, an opportunity to um, bring about the, the bridges between cultures, uh, especially in a time where people are more suspicious of other cultures and other, other, other communities. Uh, what's your hopes or expectations for your bus trip to Egypt to COP meeting? Wow. Um, first of all, I'm, I'm looking forward to swim in the Red Sea. I think that's on the top of my list. I'm not, not sure if the viewer or the listeners know that, but the temperature of the Red Sea is always steady at like 26 degrees. So I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for that. No, but I'm just kidding. I think that um, I, I, I defined it to myself last year at the Glasgow uh, Climate uh, Conference. Um, the cops uh, have a lot of bad things to say about them because of the cynical way that government and global governance works. But it's like, like, it's like a climate Disneyland. So everyone comes and it's like there's lectures and galleries and exhibitions and shows and, and, and events and side events and And everything happens with a beer at the end of the day. And you talk to people from, you know, last time I met, I met the, like the, the climate minister of Jamaica. Um, uh, why would I meet the climate minister of Jamaica at any other point in my life except going to Glasgow for the COP? So I love these random meetings. And I love the fact that you can really understand other people's perspective. Um, obviously, I'm coming with an agenda to, to talk about my fund and to talk about my climate book publishing house and to work with Israeli officials and I'm, I'm working with the official government delegation you know our prime minister is going there um, and we have finally a, a, a prime minister that isn't a climate denier we have a, a new prime minister in Israel uh, and we have a fifth election uh, where no one talks about the climate crisis it's really depressing but um, and the fact and the fact that it's a neighboring country I've been to Sham and I've been to Sinai Peninsula many times as a tourist just traveling to the wonderful beaches and and the sandy deserts and the mountains. Um, and it's now really interesting to see how it goes uh, as, a, as a business traveler or as a, someone who's going for work because uh, Sinai and Sharm el-Sheikh is nothing like Glasgow. 
um, and uh, nothing like. It's like the literal opposite. If if someone can close their eyes and imagine the other opposite of Glasgow, then Sharm el-Sheikh is the opposite. So it's really interesting to see because also the logistics, you know, Egyptians are really fantastic people. They're really kind, but they're not master of logistics. Maybe since the pharaohs, you know, um, they haven't been really great at logistics. It's okay for me to say it because Israelis are also horrible at logistics. Um, and that's why I hope that COP never comes to Tel Aviv because it will be a nightmare for everyone staying. Um, so uh, I'm just curious to see how it is to come together. You know, it's like 100,000 people from 200 countries coming together to discuss uh, the climate crisis and actually try to pass policy that is meaningful. Mm. So, yeah. Well, keeping fingers crossed that uh, they will yes. get somewhere. Fingers crossed. Good. Thank you for your uh, time today. For the, we'll try to put this episode live uh, before the COP, so people can live and feel, you know, feel the COP. Yeah. Thanks. Join us again for the next episode. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please give us a good rating and leave the feedback in your podcast player, so others will find it too. We will be back next week. Turn on to Nature Back Podcast. DC, I host the rock podcast back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30 minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to back to the arena, the interviews. Electric acid. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast.